1: God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Through him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. When
0: you hear the phrase, Jesus died for the sin of humanity, is your first thought, Jesus died for me? Or is your first thought, Jesus died for all people like me? Or is your first thought, Jesus died for people who are different from me? These three different ideas can be labeled as the me, we, or the default. And some of us have that default to an individual personal view of God. An individual view of God is not just a modern American phenom either. A 2021 report from the Pew Research Center reports belief in God is nearly universal in India, 97%. And roughly 8 in 10 Indians 79% say they believe in God with absolute certainty. But, quote, belief in God, end quote, means something very different to a Hindu than it does to a Christian. Just as Jesus is the Son of God has different meaning to a Mormon or a Protestant. Because 61% of Hindus, making up the 97% that say they believe in God, believe that there is only one God with many manifestations. Compared to the Orthodox Christian view that there is one God eternally existing in three persons. Hindus believe that these Multiple manifestations range from every single person having a personal God to the 33 Koti, which are the supreme deities within the Hindu religion. I am overjoyed for each person who is listening to my voice who has a personal relationship with God mediated through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But I've entitled this message, Not Done Yet, because until our belief matures into a faith that is accessed by every language and people group, the mission of Acts is not complete. My goal in the next 25 minutes is to help you buy into CRT. What? All right, stop. Don't don't, don't leave out the back doors. Because the CRT that I want you to buy into is compassionate race theory. Instead, Instead of being critical of the race of another person... I believe the desire of God Almighty is that we would have compassion towards people of other ethnicities within the human race. My goal from Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12 is that we would have compassionate feelings, compassionate actions towards races that surround us. Today's text actually reveals to us a change in thinking by those who were close to the apostles but different from the apostles. And the apostles had to get a different frame of mind about those who were close to them yet different from them. And God may be ready to do a work in our hearts today that we get a new attitude about those who are close to us but different from us. In Acts chapter 10, I see that gospel hearing is extended to new people. Acts 10 is a story of new people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But before the hearing becomes possible, we first see a preparation for the hearing of the gospel. I know that farming and ranching methods have changed significantly in the last 100 years in search of higher yields and better return on investment. And whether soil gets tilled or fertilized, it has to be prepared for the seed. And whether you single-stock or double-stock, burning produces better grass in the short term and healthier pastures over the years sometimes we have to have preparation before the production. And similarly, both the producer and the product need to be prepared for gospel transformation to be allowed to take place. This preparation first happens in a man by the name of Cornelius that we read about in verses 1 through 8. Cornelius as commander of the Italian cohort, was most likely a Syrian who had been assigned to the Roman military. This would have been two strikes against Cornelius in the mind of a first century Jew. First of all, I don't like Cornelius because he's a Syrian. And second, I don't like Cornelius because he's aligned with the Roman military. So to this man who had two strikes against him... God is about to change his heart and change Peter's heart towards him. Cornelius would have been a military leader. Craig Keener writes that centurions were often soldiers who worked their way up through the ranks. And some took 20 years to achieve this rank. And some also estimate, Keener continues, that roughly half of those who enlisted survived 20 years of service. And so those who entered and survived and became leaders of a cohort were richly rewarded. So he was a powerful and a wealthy man in the land of Caesarea. We also read in Acts chapter 10 that he was a pious and a generous man. Keener continues, most local soldiers were anti-Jewish. Nevertheless, some Gentiles honored and even converted to Judaism there. So although he was a foreigner, a foreigner who was aligned to the power that was over them, the scripture tells us he was a man who had favorable opinions of the religion of the Jewish people. But even though he was rich and powerful and pious and generous, he was still lacking something in his heart. There are people all around us who may appear to have the world by its tail. They may have money, influence, social standing. But without Christ filling what Blaise Pascal identified in the 1600s as a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, the people around us are just like Cornelius on some level. The people around us and Cornelius still haven't found what they're looking for. How many of you heard that song as I read that line? Because he was rich, he was powerful, he was influential, he had a great reputation. But there was still an emptiness inside of Cornelius. And the remedy for this God-shaped vacuum within Cornelius was a change that God was about to make in the Apostle Peter. Peter thought... That's clean, this is unclean. I will stick to the clean and avoid the unclean. I will eat clean and avoid unclean. I will have dinner with clean people and avoid the unclean people. And God has to do a very significant work in the mind of Peter. And all of a sudden, God says, Don't you dare call unclean what I have called clean. God is doing a work in verses 9 through 23, in the heart of Peter. Few of you may realize that my first contact with Flint Hills Community Church was not in 2018. On November 18, 2014, I found your job posting on the Moody Bible Institute website, and I emailed my resume to this church. Your search team rightly concluded at that time that we were not a good fit for each other. But between November 14 and March of 18, God made some changes in this body, and God did a work in my heart so that I didn't only want to be back in Kansas, but by 2018 I had developed a love for the people of Chase County. An essential requirement to be your pastor. Not someone who just wants to be in the state, but someone who loves you. And God did that work in my heart between 2014 and 2018. And God did that work in Peter in Acts chapter 10 that he developed a new compassion, a new love for Cornelius. The transformation that happened in those three and a half years in my life and in our church, is very similar to what is happening in Cornelius and Peter. In verse 15 of chapter 10, we see that Peter is still thinking of clean and unclean. But by the time we get to verse 34 of chapter 10, what is Peter's conclusion? He concludes that with God, there is no partiality of persons that God is just as concerned with the Gentiles in Caesarea as he was with the Jews in Jerusalem. And because God was at work in the heart of Cornelius, and God was at work within the heart of Peter, God moves Peter towards Cornelius, and Cornelius is gathering together all of his friends. It says friends and family, but... History records that for a man to be a leader of an Italian cohort, he would not have been allowed to be married. If he's not married, that tends to cut down on the number of children that would be part of his household. Now, it was also true in this time that many uh, military leaders had concubines, and they did build families that were unofficial families. But the household of Cornelius can refer not only to wife and children, but also to servants and to those who were living under his command within his home. And he gathers together his household and he gathers together his friends and he says, God is going to do something significant in our household. What do we see in verse 28 of chapter 10? Peter says, God has shown me that you need the gospel. And I am wondering, as we interact with the people of our county, do we have a heart that says, God has shown me that Chase Countyans need the gospel? Do we have a heart that says, Chase Countyans who are different from me need the gospel. Because verse 29, Peter says, Not only do I realize you need the gospel, but I was sent to give you the gospel. And my prayer is that God is going to do a work in our hearts today that people who may be young with holes in their faces and ink on their bodies will realize that we have compassion for them people who speak a different language will realize we have compassion for them people who work as migrant hourly workers will realize that we have compassion for them and not only do we have not only is God showing us to have compassion but verse 29 that we will realize God is sending us to them With the gospel of Jesus Christ. God did a work in Cornelius, God did a work in Peter, and God caused Cornelius to gather together his family, his friends. I think it's significant for us to look at the words of John chapter 20, verse 21. For Jesus said to them, his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so. I am sending you. And Jesus' message is not only to his disciples in John 20, but also to the people of Flint Hills Community Church in 2022. Jesus is saying to us this morning, As a father sent me to this world, even so I am sending you into the world. I notice here that Cornelius did not take his friends to synagogues. He brought the gospel to his friends. And this is why our elders determined it would be good for us to invest this summer in Sunday school to learn gospel presentations and to make Bibles and tracts available for you to give to friends and neighbors. Because some of them won't come with you to church, but we can take the gospel to them. Because Jesus says, As I was sent, so I send you into the world so with this preparation in the background then peter actually preaches the gospel to the people who were gathered when we consider what is the gospel what is the good news if if i take this whole book and try and tell this whole book to somebody They may be confused about Jesus on the water and Jesus getting swallowed by a whale. so, So what are the facts that I need to make known from this book? It's helpful for us to look at gospel presentations in the inspired word of God. What did the Holy Spirit want included in the presentation when somebody heard the gospel And Acts 10, 34 through 43, is a wonderful summation of the gospel. Because in these 10 verses, we first see the life of Jesus. Verses 36 through 39 tell us who Jesus is. Who he is as a person. He's different from all other gods of other religions. He's different from every other human being. The first thing we need to tell in our gospel presentation is who Jesus is because many people around us, especially in our postmodern world, do not know the person of Jesus from the Bible. And after we make it clear of who Jesus is, the second thing that Peter talks about is Jesus' death. Not only who Jesus is, but what did Jesus do and what does he continue to do? And it's important for us to also realize that Jesus is a person who performed certain works. We read his his life that he healed people, that he fed people, that he raised people. He was a good old boy, but more than being a good old boy, we also read that he died. Not for his own sins, but he died for our sins. And that's an essential part of us telling the gospel. Yes, we need to talk about Jesus, but we also need to talk about Jesus who died for our sins. But he didn't stay dead because verses 40 through 41 go on to tell us that Jesus was resurrected. This is what sets Jesus apart from all other religions. Every other religion of humanity has a leader who died Jesus is the only one who was resurrected from the dead. So it's important that we tell people who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what sets Jesus apart from all other religions because there is one way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We need to talk about the exclusivity of Jesus, the, exclu- the exclusivity of Christianity, which is the resurrection of Of Jesus Christ. And the fourth essential element of the gospel is a call. Jesus did not just do that so that we would have new information. Jesus came to this earth, he lived sinless, he died as our substitute, and he was resurrected for a purpose. And that purpose is to call us to place our faith in him, to call us to tell others that salvation is possible. To the Caesareans and those who were connected to the military service, Peter says in verse uh, 42, "says peace is not going to come through the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The military thought, hey, if we just get the Roman peace to spread out, everybody's going to have a good life. And Peter says... Peace is not going to come through the Pax Romana. He says to a devout, righteous Cornelius that peace is not going to come through ritual Judaism. But the scripture tells us that peace through Jesus Christ is the only overwhelming and lasting peace. Notice Peter doesn't go into deep theology You don't need years of specialized training to be a witness. He simply told the story of Jesus and what difference Jesus made in his life. And there is not a person listening to me right now who can't tell somebody else about Jesus and the difference that Jesus made in your life. But then the the scripture goes on to tell because God took this gospel to... Cornelius and his buddies, chapters 11 and 12 become a response to that going forth of the gospel. In chapter 11, the gospel horizons are now expanding to new places. They heard the gospel in new people, and now it is spreading to new places. We actually begin chapter 11 with a missionary summit, a missionary conference. Um, It's an accountability meeting. The Jerusalem church says, we paid for you to go to Caesarea and tell them about Jesus, and we heard that you were eating dinner with the Gentiles. We paid for you to go, and you go and use our support like that? The people were wondering, what did you do with the expenses that we paid to send you to Caesarea? There's a criticism. Actually, they're kind of unhappy with what happened. It starts with this criticism. You've become worldly. We sent you there, and you started acting like them. And to this criticism, then Peter has to give a missionary reply. The reply in verses 4-17 through is, brothers, you did not see what I saw. You did not walk in my shoes. For when I was there, I saw the power of God working through those people in miraculous ways. They said, okay, maybe maybe we jumped the gun a little bit. Maybe we were being a little bit too strict with our missionary dollars. If God is at work, Um, maybe the change needs to happen with us. We, as the senders, need a broader perspective. We need to broaden our horizons on how God is working. We need to broaden our ideas of who it is that is going to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. They may not be lily-white, middle-class Americans who respond to the gospel. Basically, they say, okay, we will no longer expect God to fit into our little box. We will expand our views to include what God is clearly doing in the world around us. And because the sending church was able to recalibrate their views of the mission, the mission then began to spread. And the rest of chapter 11 Gives us that story. Because the mission expanded to Caesarea, it was originally in um, Jerusalem, and the gospel expands to Caesarea in the middle of that dot, and beca- about 55 miles away from Jerusalem to the northwest. But now, because the church responds to what God is doing 55 miles away, we now read that God takes the gospel all the way up to the very border of Syria, looking towards Turkey. And next week, we're going to see that the gospel moves from this area into Asia Minor. It's kind of like saying, because the gospel has effectively spread from us to Manhattan, God's going to take the gospel all the way to Mizzou. And over in Mizzou, or Antioch, because they are Missourians, they're the show-me state, they want to see it for themselves. Show me how it's true. And what do we read about the Christians at Antioch? They searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were told was true. And so mission happens near to them, and now we're going to start seeing mission spread out, all the way to Antioch here on the northern border of Syria. Now, the reason that the gospel is spreading up into Antioch is because there was persecution in Jerusalem. And if you think back to a couple weeks ago, Who was at the heart of the persecution in Jerusalem? Saul. Saul of Tarsus was at the middle of that persecution. And he was persecuting the church to try and get them to be silent. And so they scattered. And so now people have scattered all the way up to Antioch. And I love verses 22 through 26. Because it says the church first sent Barnabas up to Antioch. And when Barnabas saw the good thing that God was doing in Antioch, How did Barnabas respond? He went to get Saul. And he took Saul to Antioch to be a part of the great thing that God was doing. Saul's persecution meant to silence the gospel, but now he gets to be a part of it. And you may have been the person who tried to silence God in the past. And God wants to use you to be a part of communicating that gospel to others. But then I see at the end, in chapter 11, towards the end, we read about supplies that are sent from uh, Antioch back down towards Jerusalem. Because the believers up at Antioch were not mere consumers. The believers, the Christ followers at Antioch, were students. They were studiers. And because they read the word of God, it changed them so that they became compassionate towards others. And so now, while the gospel comes to Antioch, they then send gifts back down to Jerusalem. I think there's an interesting message in that. Good missions is never colonialization. Good missions does not force others to become dependent upon American money. Every grandparent knows the joy when your child provides your first grandchild. And likewise, the believers at Antioch are healthy and generous and reproducing so that the grandparents in Jerusalem see the good things that their spiritual children are doing in Antioch, and it's giving them grandchildren in a very healthy way, as missions should always do. One of the joys of my ministry was that um, a missionary that I that our church supported in Honduras, who was a classmate of mine in college, he left from um, from Minnesota to go to Honduras. And then he reported back that the Honduran church is now sending missionaries to the Middle East. That the Hondurans, who have darker skin, are more readily accepted in the Middle East. And so when we were able to send a missionary to them, the people matured to the point where then they were also able to go forward. And that is the reproduction that we see happening in front of us. The spread of the gospel is not only spreading geographically, it also spreads its influence within the palace. For chapter 12 tells us that the gospel honor is being established in an old palace. Herod is about to find the limits of his domain when his domain comes up against the rule of Christ. In the first couple of verses, James is delivered from earth. Herod thinks he's getting the win by executing James. But even through execution, Herod was unable to prevent James from entering into Christ's eternal kingdom. The ultimate deliverance, the win was not Herod over James. The win was James outside of earth. And then in verses 3 through 19, there's a second story in chapter 12. And it shows that while Herod tries to contain the gospel by putting Peter in prison, Peter then is delivered from the prison. Even prison could not contain or restrict the power of God to spread Christ's eternal kingdom. Death can't do it. Prison can't do it. But Herod still got pretty full of himself. And so Herod needed to be delivered. Herod needed to be delivered from his own blasphemy because the glory of God would not be denied. Herod's arrogance could not prevent God from receiving the glory. As a matter of fact, when Herod began to assert himself and says, look how important I am, God caused him to get some sort of gut issue, intestinal worms, that took his very life. See, the gospel cannot be contained. God's glory cannot be denied. Jesus said that He sent His disciples, and He is sending us into our world with the good news that cannot be contained, and His will will not be denied. Who is the person that you interact with who may be different from you in heart language, in culture? In generational differences? Rather than assume that they would not be interested in the good news, Peter had to be willing to offer the gospel for the God-shaped hole in the life of Cornelius and his buddy. And God wants to use each of you to offer the good news of Jesus' forgiveness to people who may just be a little bit different Their skin might be a different tone. Their ballot may be for the other party. Their jewelry may look different. The hairstyles may be different. God says the good news is for them too. Our final song is the same song that we used last week. And it's not because I'm experiencing memory issues, but because this should be the prayer of each person who wants to mature from a gospel for me to a gospel for thee. And the prayer is,